Since COVID-19 hit, my life, like many, has been confined to my home. With work hours cut to nothing and outdoor excursions limited to neighborhood walks and a weekly field trip to the grocery store, regular life has never looked more different. But I couldn't help but wonder what the new normal looks like for my friends living in other corners of the world, so I gave them a call. I'm Tahara Faruzin. You're listening to What's It Like? Okay, my name is Lisa Contreras, and I'm in Colombia. Her husband Bradford was a good friend of my brother's growing up. Lisa, along with her husband and two kids, decided to move about a year ago back to where Lisa's from originally, Cartagena, Colombia. We have two kids. Uh, Gabriel is six and Bella is three. And we wanted them to learn Spanish and to kind of be in touch with my culture. At the time this was recorded, Colombia reported more than 21,000 cases of COVID-19 and 727 deaths. Okay, so our life before was, um, obviously we'd go to work Monday to Friday, but it's a very tropical city. We're in the Caribbean Sea, so it's very rich in heritage, like in culture. Um, we have a lot of Spanish history. Um, so we the, the city is surrounded by a beautiful old wall, I guess, and uh, lots of people on the streets, street vendors, food. Um, so on a on a weekly basis, really, um, we would go walk in the old city. We would eat street food, um, try different things, try different restaurants if we could afford them because it's also a very pricey city. <laughs> um, so we would just kind of enjoy the heritage, learn about the city, learn about the history, meet people. People are super friendly here, maybe like dance on the streets, that kind of thing. And then additionally, because we're right by the ocean, we would often go out on boats and um, go out to, there's a, a cluster of islands nearby. So we would go out on a private boat that we would either rent or we had friends that have boats and we would just kind of go with them and spend the day in the islands, um, swim, snorkel, see like obviously coral reefs and things like that or just find a random beach and stop there and we're the only ones there because it's the middle of nowhere and so we spent a lot of time at the at sea or as much as we could anyway and then um yeah just enjoy the heat on we our apartment is really close to the beach so we would just kind of actually it's right across the street so we'd really just go downstairs and go to the beach for an hour if we had nothing going on um, just swim a little bit and come back. Um, so that's kind of how our life was like. It was very relaxed, slow pace because we don't have a huge amount of friends here. So it's kind of like a small, um, our social life is slower because we only have a few close friends here. And uh, the rest of the time, just kind of enjoying the culture, the beautiful scenery, the awesome weather and that kind of thing. So when, at what point um did you realize or get even like an inkling that this coronavirus was going to start being a problem or started affecting your lives? Oh, gosh. Um, to be honest here, it turned super fast. Um, we knew it was kind of a thing that was going on in the world. We figured it would come here. But for us, it was literally overnight um, that our lives changed. Um, because it, we didn't really get the severity of it because you kind of hear it as rumors of something that's going on elsewhere. Um, 
And then it was a Friday when we thought, hey, you know, we should probably keep the kids home from school just for, you know, for a, a few days and see what happens. And on that same weekend, they shut down my husband's school that he teaches at. They shut down the kids' school that they go to school with or go to school at. They kept them home. Um, uh, and suddenly, and that's, we couldn't leave our apartment. You know, that weekend, they kind of set rules where we had like a, sh like a, a two-day um, curfew where you had to stay home. And we were like, that's great. We're excited about it. Let's, let's take a break. Let's just stay home and kind of help everybody. And, you know, it's been months and we're still stuck in our apartment. So it was a very quick turn. You guys are all stuck in the apartment. What's your living situation like? Is everybody just kind of on top of each other? A little. I mean, thankfully, our apartment is large. Um... And we have a balcony, which is really nice because we get some semblance of an outdoor space. Um, we also have a living maid that was helping us when I was working and the kids were here. And she decided she lives, her town is quite a ways away. It's like two or three hours by public transportation. She has to take a bus and then a taxi and then a motor taxi to get to her house. So um, she actually decided out of her own choice that she would rather stay here with us. And also I think for job security, I think she was worried she would lose her job, which we, I would still pay her, you know, no matter what, even if she wasn't here, but she decided to stay with us. So to this day, she still hasn't gone home. She's lived with us for, yeah, like three, two months now, I think it is. And um, so there's five of us here, my husband and I, the two kids and her. And it's interesting. I mean, at times it gets loud. It's hard to find a quiet space. Um, and, you know, we're all kind of trying to do our work. We don't have enough computers for everybody because my, everybody's doing kind of distance work or distance schooling. So it's always a juggling of time, of spaces, of silence, of um, just everything. So, But overall, I think it's good. We miss having a yard for the kids because they literally, uh, in Colombia, the kids are not allowed to go outside at all. And so they haven't been able to go leave the apartment for for two months. Wow. And so tell me about all the restrictions right now. What's expected of everybody? Yeah. OK, so in Cartagena specifically, we have very poor infrastructure in terms of health. So they're taking it very, very seriously. And they're just keeping everybody on a very strict uh, police lockdown, I guess. So what it is, is... Um, we ha everybody has a government-issued ID, and the last digit of that ID tells you which days you can go out to shop. So if my ID ends in an 8, which it does, I can go out, like I went out yesterday to go shopping, and I can't go out again until six days from now. So for us, it's good because we have two different numbers, actually three if you count my maid. So, um, you know, we kind of, we're able to stagger that so that we can go out every maybe two or three days, no, probably three days to go out and get groceries if we needed them. Um, so that's what it is. So they, they kind of control who goes out to the stores or basically all you can do is go out to get food and to do banking and then you can come back. Um, and you have to only go on those days or you need to have a reason, like if you're heading to the hospital or things like that. Right. And then they also put in place a rule that no kids under 17 or under 18 can go out um, until May 31st, I think it is. So, yeah, so since March, I think it was, that was put in a little bit later, like maybe March, like 20th or something, but until May 31st, they're not allowed outside. Um, 
And so, yeah, they've just been on lockdown. If if they find us outside, they could give us tickets and they are giving out a lot of tickets um, and they're quite pricey. Wow. So how are your kids handling this? Oh, they have good days and bad days, just like everybody. I mean, my son is really sad. I think he grasps a little bit more what's happening because he's older and he also has a social life. He's actually very popular here. He had lots of friends that he would meet at the park pretty much every night. He would walk down the street and meet them at the park and they would play Beyblades together. So he misses that social aspect a lot and he's very sad. My daughter's a little bit younger, so she she's just happy to be home with her family. Like, I don't think it affects her that much. She does say... Sometimes I hear her saying I miss grass, like she misses just kind of being outside in nature because um, especially in this setting, our apartment is very white, very sterile, very, you know, it's, it's, it's tiled floors to stay cool. And so, it, you know, there's not a lot of like nature, like there's not even a lot of wooden surfaces and things like that that she could interact with and we don't have a yard. So it's all like tile floors and walls and that's it. So. So you said May 31st would be a day that the day that they'd be able to go outside. Um, that's what that's what they said. However, they keep extending it like the first lockdown they said was going to be two weeks and then we would reassess and it's been two months and they keep extending it. So as of right now, I don't know, I, I've stopped hoping that they open it up later. Um, I'm kind of a, so that I don't get disappointed. I'm a little bit assuming that they're just going to. Um, you know, extended further after May 31st. Just because every two weeks I would get my hopes up that it was going to be over and then I would get disappointed again. So I just kind of assume that it's going to go on forever and then we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so do you tell your kids or no? Do you just keep that that possibility out of their mind? Uh, on April 27th, I did. Because my son was having a really rough day a couple days before. And I said, you know what, Gabriel, this is almost over. They told us April 27th is going to end. So, you know, it's just a few more days. Hang in there. We can get through this. And then sure enough, the day before, so April 26th, they decided to extend it for another three weeks. And I realized that it's it's better not to let them know when things are going to change because it just, they, they, it's just disappointing for them. What is it like being a mother during all of this and pretty much having your life crammed into your house? I mean, it's definitely busy. Um... I would say here in Colombia, school matters a lot, um, which compared to Canada when they're like, you know, more relaxed, it seems like they're just doing as long as the kids are doing half an hour of some kind of schooling a day, you're fine. They're sending some resources home and that's it. That's what I can compare it to with my, what my friends in Canada are doing. Here in Colombia, school matters a lot. There's a lot of competition. Um, to perform, to do well in school, and it's still going on now. So as a mom for myself, I have become my kid's teacher, basically. I'm not good at education, that's for sure. Even though I'm married to a teacher, I'm not the best at it, but I have more time than my husband because he's a teacher and he has to teach classes virtually. So what does that mean for me is that I, I kind of feel a lot of pressure coming from the preschool, and my kids are still in preschool, in kindergarten and 
not even pre-k it's like maternal for my daughter that's the name of the grade which is very basic but they still have to complete all their homework they're checking it they are you know they're checking in with us how seeing how we're doing like they're they have a ton of classes where you know these kids can't even stay in front of the tv for half an hour just to meet up with their teacher let alone doing it several times a day so for myself i would say that i feel a lot of pressure coming from the school to perform to keep going with the homework to be their teacher and homework was taking me over half the day just to get through it with the kids and especially my son he's in kindergarten he's just learning to read and to do math so I do want him to do well so for me it's not just the pressure coming from the school but the pressure of like I want him to succeed in this I know that eventually life will go on he will go back to grade one whether it's in a year or in two years who knows right but and I want him to learn to read and I want him to do good at math and all these things. Um, so I'm also trying to keep him engaged. So that for me has been a lot of work. Um, I've been back and forth with my kids preschool a lot, trying to find kind of a common ground, trying to figure out what's important and what's not, what I should focus on, while still trying to keep my mental health, knowing that I just cannot do homework for eight hours a day with them at home, plus doing my work. And then after that, I do my job, um, which I'm not going to lie, has been subpar lately. <laughs> um, I've been very focused on my kids. They're technically, they're definitely my priority most of the time. And so my work has been a little bit neglected. And the other thing I'm finding is that I am an introvert and I'm having a hard time finding alone time. And so what we've been getting into the bad habit of doing, my husband and I, is staying up way too late. So after the kids go to bed and I finish my work, which sometimes may be 10, 11 p.m., then I just stay awake for another two, three, four hours just to be alone for a while because there's nowhere to hide, there's nowhere to go to be alone. Um, so And our lives are very much intermingled. So I just stay up really late, which is bad because then the next day I'm tired and whatever. But I do that so that I can just have some me time. Mm. So Yeah. I was going to ask, you know, how, how do you keep your yourself mentally healthy? And, you know, is I mean, you kind of touched on that, but is there, you know, anything else that you do to keep yourself mentally, mentally okay? Yeah, I have found um, exercising is important. And for a long time, I was doing it here in the apartment. And I still do sometimes, like I'll do video classes through YouTube or whatever. But um, I actually run in the parkade of our building because technically if I'm within my dwelling, which would be my, my apartment building, it's okay. And we have a five-story parkade. So we run down there, up and down the parkade over and over. And we do, you know, quite a few laps. So that's what I do personally. It helps me, um, I don't know, just deal with stress or whatever. So I've, I have found exercise to be quite um, helpful. And then other than that... Um, I don't know, like I have moments where I hide from people. So even my own family and my close friends can't get a hold of me through WhatsApp to call me or anything because I'm just kind of hiding. I need kind of, I, I, if, I, if I have a hard time processing, I just hide from people sometimes. And then other times I, so that's one of the ways I deal with it. And then another times it actually is the opposite is I need to, I notice that I, I need to reach out to people and talk. So I will call people. But the other thing that I have found is that it's it's difficult to connect with people that are in a different circumstance. Like for me, 
seeing people in North America that can go out just for a walk, even. To me, it gives me a little bit of jealousy, <laughs> which I don't like to admit, but it's true. I'm just like, oh, I just, I just wish I could go out for a walk with the kids and just like come back home and that's it. That's all I care about. But I can't do that. So at times when I talk to my friends and they're telling me about their experience, that's also tough and finding it hard to relate to them. Um, and so sometimes talking to friends that are elsewhere in the world is not really helpful because they don't really understand where I'm coming from and they don't, I don't know. It just, it, for me, it's been kind of a negative thing. Oh, it's not always. I mean, obviously it depends on the friend and it's not even because they're telling me something that I don't want to hear. I just notice that internally I get more sad because I think of where I could be or, you know, what my life could be like elsewhere. So that part is kind of sucky. Um, so I, I try to reach out to local friends, even if they're not as close of friends because we've only been here a year. I At least they understand because they're also in lockdown with kids in apartment buildings. So, so that's been helpful for myself as well. Did you have an opportunity to come back to Canada? Um, so when I started thinking of maybe, it's been two months only, right? So I signed up to like to get updates from the Canadian embassy and they at that point they had the last repatriation flight on April 28th I think it was that they sent the last one and they had already sent three of them which I, I wasn't aware of them um, before that because I just it wasn't it didn't seem that bad to me yet so I didn't even think to like be connected to the embassy at all so at that point we just didn't have enough time to like hop on a flight and go um we only had like a week left before the last flight left so there was it was just not an option at that time um it's also expensive for us to fly home right now so you know at this point there's no option to fly directly to Canada the embassy says you can take a flight into Florida if you want but then you'd be on your own to kind of get from Florida to our home which is Calgary and that's a long ways away <laughs> so and it would be quite expensive because there's four of us um and you know, everything comes out of pocket. So as of right now, we're not desperate enough, I would say, that we're going to try and fly home and, and spend seven or $8,000 getting us home because that's kind of how it would be by the time you count for hotel rooms that we would have to do because there'd be long layovers between flights and transportation by ground to get to Bogota to catch the last flight and things like that, right? So I would say, no, it's not, it's not really an option or an option we're considering at this point, but we're trying to see what else we could do because it is getting kind of cumbersome to be here in this apartment. The, the longer the time that passes, the harder it is. So, And so what is the government saying in terms of, you know, how they're going to move forward with this? Is there any, you know, other than the May 31st tentative date, is there any indication that they're going to try to open anything up? Um... No, I, I don't really know. I mean, technically, they're trying to reopen the economy. And the other thing is that it's um, the different municipalities get to do their own. So Cartagena is one of the most heavily restricted cities here. And we're looking as soon as my husband's done his job um, for the year, which is in mid-June, we're going to look to move to another city because there's other cities that are a lot more relaxed with the rules. Um, so, yeah. Hopefully, if we can, if, if they relax it enough that we can find a private transport to take us elsewhere, then we probably will. We'll probably rent a farm or something where the, the kids can at least be outside a little bit. And, and that, that's our plan for now. But we'll see. We'll have to see if we're allowed. I'm not sure. So And so could you explain to me, like, how some people live there? Like, is there access to water and things like that in these places where people are really struggling? I mean, there's everything. 
Um, some places do and some don't. I mean, there's a lot of informal housing where you, if you have like a squatter settlement rule, which they do here, if you occupy a space for five years, it, it could you basically it's your land. And so a lot of people have just settled in a place and built their own infrastructure as best as they could. So there's everything. There's from the very, very poor that just have like cardboard houses, I guess, near a pond that's dirty water. And that's where they get their their water and there's no infrastructure for sewage treatment or electricity or anything. There is a lot of that. And then there's everything from there until what you would see a middle class or upper class. Like it, literally there's just a whole widespread of that. It just depends on which neighborhood you live in and and everything. So, you know, the city we live in is very, it's very driven by tourism. Like, my gosh, like probably 80 or 90 percent of the economy is tourism. And right now, obviously, everything is shut down and people are really struggling. Um, businesses shut down, hotels, like everything. So I see a lot of despair, I would say, like a lot of people that can't afford the lifestyle they're used to, but even if they don't have like a lavish lifestyle, just just basic necessities that their income went from whatever it was to down to literally zero. And now they're living on savings if they have them. It's definitely stressful, I would say. So since everything is kind of, you know, a last minute decision, is there, you know, fear among people that since this is kind of, they seem like nonchalant easing of the rules that there could be more of a spread of the virus? Um, yeah, I think people are afraid, um, especially in the city, I would say there's a lot, like it's spreading a lot. Um, the disparity of the city is really what's causing this. So we have a very wealthy population and then there's the rest of Cartagena, I would call it. That's kind of the, like people that are very, yeah, they have informal work or they're not very wealthy and they're not following the rules very well. And so while we're all kind of stuck at home and complaining about being stuck at home, there's other people that because they have to go out to eat or they're literally starving, there's a lot of places where they're not following the rules. And the police tries their best to police it, but when there's a thousand people out, there's only so much a couple of patrols can do. And they haven't really mili militarized the area to really like control it because I think the government realizes that they don't have options for these people. They don't have options to say, okay, well, go home because we're going to give you... Like, they're handing out a little bit of, like, groceries, you know, to poor people here and there, but it's not enough. And so because of that, as much as we're feeling very policed and we're doing our best to keep the rules and all that, other people, they're like, well, if the choice is between coronavirus or starvation, I'm going to choose star uh, coronavirus because I don't know what that's like, but I do know that I'm hungry right now. So anyway, so all that to say is it's it's kind of an awkward situation. There's lots of factors going into it. And yes, I would say people are afraid, but I think they're more afraid that the lockdown is going to go on forever because they keep extending it. And when you when they, they give you a date and then the date approaches and a day or two before they extended three more weeks and then they extended three more weeks and then three more weeks. I think the biggest fear is that it's not going to like... It's not going to open up again. And the biggest thing is that I have found that people are just thought they just stop caring about the, the reason why we're doing this to fight the coronavirus, supposedly, or to keep ourselves safe. And they're just kind of doing it not to get caught. And so therefore, there's there's it's just the wrong reasons to do it. And people aren't really aware of the point of it. So anyway, there's just 
there's a lot of factors. I can't really answer that concrete, like with a one single an answer. Is there any help from the government for people who are struggling? No, we have such disparity in this country um, that if there's, and also there's a lot of corruption in, in government, especially here in Cartagena, that um, any help that's going is going to the people that live day by day because there's a lot of street vendors, people that sell avocados on, their street, on the street or they sell hot dogs or sunglasses at the beach, whatever, whatever it is they do day to day. Those are the people that are really, really struggling because they're told to stay home or the police is going to ticket you, but they can't afford to eat. So they literally are just, when you've been at home for two months and you are required to leave your house just to make money to feed your family, it's a very tough choice to be like, well, do I get a ticket and expose myself to coronavirus or do I feed my family because they're literally starving? So I think a lot of the government aid is going towards those people. Um, I haven't seen a lot of aid going to companies and stuff like that unless the company is like trying to help their employees or maybe a little bit of financial aid, but there's not a ton. Most of it here is more like an iron fist of like, don't lay off your employees or else. But, you know, the companies kind of have to fend for themselves, I think, as far as I understand. So. Colombia shares a border with Venezuela, which is experiencing unrest before this happened and continues to. Colombia also shares a border with Brazil. Their numbers are increasing rapidly. Are you worried? I think so. I mean, Colombia has one of the highest um, number of illegal immigration from Venezuela because of everything that's going on there. And a lot of them are actually walking back right now because there's, we can't offer them anything here. Even the begging they did in the street, they can't. So there's a ton of, there's basically a caravan of Venezuelans that have been walking wherever they are in the country back to Venezuela. So that has happened over the last two months. Um, to be honest, I don't even know that there's anything I would worry about with other countries because Colombia has its own set of problems in terms of our history with drugs and guerrilla warfare and all that. It's very prevalent here and... I would say it's hard to predict. Um, I think right now, beyond the looting and the protesting that will probably come soon out of desperation, I don't know that we can think, or at least personally, I don't know of any bigger um, problems that may arise later that people are focusing on because people are trying to survive and they're trying, they're scared about the the day-to-day -day, is someone going to break into my house to steal because they're that hungry or they're that desperate, right? So I think that's more what I think people are focused on. I don't know that we're worried about politically, like political issues that may arise later, but I have no idea. Like there's still different, like the ELN is a, a paramilitary group that that is still prevalent here and it's it's kind of like... I don't know. I guess you can see the presence even to this day uh, all over the country a little bit. And so what are they doing these days? I have no idea because the media news and the media coverage is all about coronavirus. So I have no idea what the threat is to that, to be honest. So I can't really speak to that. But I'm sure things will happen. My whole family is is worried about that. They're like, why don't you come back to Canada? You know, it's going to get ugly there. I know it will because, you know, when people get desperate, they, they do stupid things. So, I mean, a lot of people are talking about how this is going to change the way we live and what we do. 
what changes do you see and what changes do you hope happen after this? Well, um, I don't know, to be honest. That's a very intense question. Um, let me think about that. I have no idea. I, I haven't really thought that through, to be honest. Um, no, I actually don't have an answer for that. Is it just, does that just seem too far into the future right now? Yeah, I think so. And I think, I just don't see that there's going to be a lot of things changing here. I could see, for example, I could see industries being revamped in in different cities or, you know, in the upper middle class where you can work from home instead of commuting daily. Like those kind of changes could happen here. But I think overall, especially in this city, as a whole, I don't see a lot of changes because people just live day to day here, most of them. And so there's nothing they can do to change. You have to keep going out to sell their stuff and people keep buying off the street. And, you know, there's nothing else that can change for them, I don't think. I mean, I guess depending on how many deaths we end up having, that may change a little bit the population, like demographics, but I don't really, I don't think a lot's going to change. Even through this crisis, to be honest, we're seeing a ton of corruption in government, a ton of discord, and it just blows my mind that we can't even band together through a crisis to like put the money where things need to go. People are still taking cuts um, out of government funds for private contracts. Uh, like all, all these things are happening still. So I actually don't think anything's going to change personally, but that could just be because I'm in a negative space because I've been trapped in my apartment too long. I have no idea. That's Lisa Contreras in Colombia. What's It Like is produced and written in Calgary, Alberta, Canada by me, Tahara Faruzin. The music you're hearing is Massive Attack by Poddington Bear. Visit soundofpicture.com for more. Thanks for listening. Stay well.